Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to A Little Bit Dusty, all things country, rural, and outback Australia. Grab a hot or cold one and enjoy the conversation ahead. G'day guys, welcome to another episode of A Little Bit Dusty. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm your host Tyson Godden, and in this episode, we are finally chatting to Jake Kassar. This one has been a long time coming. It's been rescheduled a couple of times because he's been a very, very busy man, as you might not be aware, or you might have seen on the news that Jake and his team, as well as other emergency services and other volunteers as well, have been searching for Logan Lacerdo, the young man who was missing from the Central Coast. Um, He's still missing, unfortunately, so I do hope the endless efforts that Jake and his team are going to will provide some results in the future. They have covered a lot of track and are very, very skilled at what they do, so I do hope that Jake and his team, uh, yeah, continue to get the good results. But we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff in this episode. We're going to talk about what got him interested in going out to the bush in the first place. Uh, the you know Bush foods, plants, medicines, the wilderness, all those sorts of things. But also some of the mentoring he does for young adults when he's not taking people out into the bush and the outdoors as well. Because I think it's a very interesting thing I want to try and find out a bit more about. And I have no doubt it has a positive impact on the people that he's mentoring and those who are recommended and that sort of thing as well. He's a very, very interesting man and a very intelligent gentleman. So I'm very, very excited to share this episode with you. So enjoy this chat with Jake Asar. Let us know what you think. Rate us five stars and give us a review. Leave us a comment on Acast or iTunes or Spotify, whatever you're using. And that way, people who are searching for podcasts in the travel category will see this name club higher and higher. And it'll keep the algorithms nice and healthy and we'll be able to climb the charts and the ladder a little bit better each week because we're getting more Instagram followers, getting more people listening, more international listeners. So very, very big thanks for showing interest in what I'm doing here. But yeah, this episode, we're going to cover a lot of cool stuff. So enjoy this chat with Jake Asar. All right, guys, here we go. I'm very excited to chat to this gentleman. He's a man of many talents, and I'm keen to find out more. We are talking about Jake Kassar, and he joins us now. Jake, how's it going, mate? Oh, g'day. Pretty good. Thanks, yourself? That's why. Yeah, not too bad. Just been uh, pretty pumped, actually, to get this get this yarn going because I've been wanting to do it for a while. I'm keen to hear lots about what you do. So it's a little bit hard to decide where to start, I suppose, because you've achieved a lot and involved in a lot of many kind of wholesome networks and events. So... Maybe to start with um, just telling a little bit about yourself, where you kind of grew up and where you currently reside. Oh, I'm from the Central Coast, so just between uh, Sydney and Newcastle, about an hour north of Sydney. I'm 46. Yep. 
I uh, grew up around Woiwoi Yamina area, not far from Gosford. And oh, okay. grew up surfing, playing football, spending lots of time in the bush. And uh, yeah, just the bush was a real thing that stuck with me throughout my throughout my life and interesting and colourful teens and 20s, 30s. <laughs> it was always the bush that I'd come back to. Uh, it was always oh, right. my sanctuary and my um, my my school, my university, and and now uh, where I where I reside, and also um, you know, run run a business as such. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I was going to ask you yeah, what what kind of drew you to being in the bush originally, but if it seems like you were in those surroundings for you know most of your lifetime, then if you if it's in your environment in your home, then yeah, any wonder you'd uh, yeah love it so much. Yeah, so. yeah, it was always always in my system. My mum reckons as soon as she put me down on the ground as a baby, that I went crawling and found found a stick and started digging and separating roots. And and I remember being really, really young. Yeah, right. I remember being maybe three <laughs> three years old and making a little campfire under the house, which probably wasn't the safest or the smartest thing to do. <laughs> cooking them and making little fires and eating stuff. And um, yeah, oh. nothing much has changed four decades later. <laughs> but the fires aren't under the house. That's amazing. <laughs> so you're a bushcraft teacher, a youth mentor, and a conservationist. Which one kind of did you lead into first, or do they all kind of flow into each other at some point within people you've kind of you know, connected with in amongst doing all this? Yeah, well, as I touched on before, you know, during my like, colourful teens and, and 20s, uh, you know, I'd, I'd escape to the bush and uh, and when I'd come back to, you know, so-called civilization, I sometimes call, call it uh, uncivilization. Uh, I'd just come back really centered and uh, and positive and relaxed and, and happy and, and just fascinated with all the things I was finding out in the bush and I got my hands on all kinds of different bush tucker books and plant identification books and survival books and anything I could on. Oh. Ah, and it kind of went from there. Yeah, it oh, started wicked. to build from a really young age. So that's that's why I'm so passionate about uh, both conservation and youth work because I feel that the bush uh, really saved my life, saved me from going in uh, or continuing to go down a pretty negative path and um, both oh, within okay. my personal life and the, and the things that I was sort of doing in the directions I was heading spiritually, if you like. I, my spirit um, has been lifted and um, – and I love lifting the spirit of other people and, and by protecting the land and, and looking after our youth and, and giving back to nature the thing that's given me so much uh, just makes sense. Mm. Wow, it's a very rewarding and very humble way to look at it. That's, um, that's quite something, yeah. I think, so, as you probably know, a lot of and everyone else, uh, a lot of people that live in Australia are on the coastline and you know, mainly in CBDs and um, city and busy areas. How important do you reckon is it, in your opinion, for you know people of groups similar or other people that just haven't really been to the bush or the outback to be aware of some of the foods and medicines that are out there and what it can do for them? Yeah, well, from a prepping perspective, uh, it could be absolutely vital in the future. We've seen food shortages already. Uh, you never know what's around in this ever-changing world. So having yeah, some kind true. of idea of not only the edible and medicinal plants, but also how to you know how to find water how to track your way back to camp or back to home, being able to build a shelter, uh, purifying water, filtering water, all those kind of things could just be skills that we could actually use in an urban environment as well. If we had um, flood, fire or famine, uh, then being able to use those things in an urban environment is yeah, incredibly important. Being able to use a bit of bush medicine as well is important. 
But I think on a deeper level, I believe on a deeper level that we need to reactivate our innate connection to nature. You know, we are, we are the land. We are nature. We're, we're part of it. We're part of the animal kingdom, if you like. And, and it certainly doesn't suit everybody to be, yeah, you know, to be, well, not everybody's that into nature in the big scheme of things. But if anyone's got the smallest amount of, of love and respect for the natural world, I think it's kind of now or never. Either we step up now and, and, um, and, and act as custodians, act as caretakers of the land. And, and, um, and that includes us. We're part of it. Um, mm. Uh, or, or, yeah, work, working with it, not against it, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I don't expect everybody to be a frontline activist like me. I don't actually recommend it. it doesn't pay very well. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but um, people can certainly start to identify who are the individuals and organisations that are making a difference, the ones that are on the front line uh, for, for caring for the land and, and caring for community and, and, and start to get behind them, I think. With everything that's going on in the world at the moment, you know, a lot of us preppers saw this saw this coming. A lot of the survivalists saw a lot of this stuff coming. Uh, I think the real right. I think the real danger is more the way that we're actually treating each other. Uh, all of the division we had incredible division between black and white, male and female, female to male over the last however many years has made a real comeback. Um, you know, gay and straight. There's just so much division going on, and then you chuck the vac. Vax mm. thing on top of the whole thing, and uh, I was about to say, yeah, especially over the last couple of years as well, people just yeah just don't want to be associated with anyone that's kind of in their own little zone of just yeah the different fear and everything else that's gone on with it as well. It certainly hasn't been addressed properly, but yeah, more divide is never a good thing. Yeah, at a time where we need to be united, you know, for the sake of our, you know, it all comes down to um, you know, what kind of world do we want our kids to grow up in? So there's there's the physical world, and then there's the world of you know, of how, how we're actually treating each other and, and uh, are we accepting, are we working together, are we are we uniting when we need to because realistically we're not going to agree on everything. But are we mm, absolutely when we need to? And, you know, I, I really think that's a bigger threat than anything environmental. I mean, humans have survived. Ice ages, you know, huddled up in caves, fending off cave bears and saber-toothed tigers over the last yeah, years. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're resilient, you know, we're extremely resilient. Uh, but yeah, we're and adaptive as well. We're adaptive, you know, and, and we're we're. Mm. I was going to say we, we are strong, but it's actually our vulnerability um, that gives us our strength. You know, we don't have claws or scales or fur or size or anything like that. So we've had to use our minds um, over the last, especially a couple of hundred thousand years. The the last throw. That's a very good stage. point. Um, we it's been there has been an element of survival of the fittest and the smartest. But I think more importantly, there's been a strong element of survival of the most cooperative. And uh, and I think that we really need to come back to that. It's time for good people to unite. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, many hands make light work too. So the more the merrier, I suppose. But, uh, but yeah, what you were saying of um, people being connected and you know wanting to care and look after the land too, some of the things that you're teaching people can also get you out of some tricky situations as well, I think. You posted on the, your uh, Facebook group recently that you encountered a spider bite and you used a few different things to uh, repair and heal it. What was the kind of concoction that you made to repair the spider bite, to fix the spider bite? Yeah. Well, you talking about the white tail spider bite? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The one was a while back. It was the tick as well, which was a beauty. Um, but the white tail spider bite, yeah, so they'd, they'd given me antibiotics for it and, um, and something else, some cream. And uh, I just wanted to give something a go. Now, I'm not prescribing this to people at home and I certainly don't 
suggest that people go and use wild foods and wild medicines willy-nilly because worst case scenario, um, you know, it could be the last thing you ever eat or use as medicine. So you've really got to know what you're doing. Uh, but I use, I'll tell you a little bit. I did use some plantain on it, uh, which has got a powerful drawing agent. Okay. And uh, yeah, and I used a, a type of sap from a tree. I'll, I'll just say that much. The reason I'm being um, a little bit secretive there is, you know, with medicine, it's a little bit of a tricky thing. Uh, first and foremost, you, you don't want people to um, to go and misidentify the plant and make a situation worse. Yeah. Uh, which which does happen, um, especially children who might be watching this podcast or people that haven't been through any kind of training. Right. And yeah, um, yep. I'll get to that. It's so important that people do a bit of training first and spend time with someone that's had some real hands-on experience, just hasn't read stuff out of books. Uh, but the second part of it is if they do the dose wrong, uh, they don't get it particularly right, or they do get it right, they have an adverse reaction because they're the first person that finds out they're actually allergic to it. That um, that you know they come back and blame blame you no, for yeah, it. Very strange, it's, yeah. It's not so much about that, but it's more about um, yeah, it's more about you just don't want people to get injured or worse than than what they are, and it takes like a bit of a lifetime of knowledge. Or if we're talking about our international, our universal Indigenous ancestors, they had hundreds of thousands of years of experience passed down from uh, person to person. But uh, one of the plants I use to answer you a bit more succinctly, which isn't my strong point, is uh, Plantago lanceolata. That's a common okay. plantain. If, if anyone was to look it up, they'd be able to see that it's a very, very common weed that you find on your on your uh, lawn at the side of a bush track, All right. any sort of disturbed It's um, related to psyllium husk, actually. That's from the Plantago genus and you can uh, pound it up heat it up and uh and use it as an agent to draw things out so i can draw out infections it's got mild antiseptic and antibacterial properties as well and vitamin a and vitamin c in it if you eat the young leaves a bit of iron and calcium as well uh, so it's also an edible plant but it's highly medicinal and can be used on a variety of different things but again i'm not recommending that people use it on a on a on a spider bite Yep. Although it um, was part of the ingredients that with some tree sap and some other secret herbs and spices that absolutely wiped the um, white tail spider bite off the face of the earth. It was um, pretty remarkable. There you go. I mean, it sounds like that plantain ticks a few boxes with what it can deliver as well. But yeah, that's 100% fair enough. In I mean, yeah, I was only asking out of curiosity, but uh, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. But yeah, as you said before, it's especially important to have someone you know, with the person who's going out to the bush for you know the first time, that way they can be prepared for any kind of trouble. Some of your courses that you provide for other people to uh, enjoy and you know, be a part of, what are some of the day and course uh, and bushwalks and what could someone inspect if they were to do a couple of days with some of your programs that you do? Yeah, we've got a patch system going now and I say we because it's important to me that it's not the, the Jake Cassar show. It's uh, I'm starting to bring all kinds of different corners of the community and, of course, including... Oh, great. Yeah, including the Aboriginal community. We've had some great Aboriginal teachers come and get involved in some courses, uh, both traditional custodians and Aboriginal people from other areas, but that are coming in and, and sharing what they know about culture. So being a non-Indigenous... Oh, yeah, it's been great. So being a non-Indigenous fella and introduced species myself, I, I stick to the bushcraft, survival, edible, medicinal plants, which of course has a crossover with Indigenous culture and Indigenous cultures as well. But I'll get my Aboriginal mates to yep. look after that side of things. Um, had some ecologists come into camp. Had lots of uh, participants in my courses that have been through the white patch, which is like level one, 
Um, then this year we're going to do yellow patch, next year green, then blue, brown, black, similar to the martial arts. Um, right, I was about to say, okay. Yeah, so you get a little patch with my, I think I've got one here. But it'll be upside down and back to front because I've got my reverse camera on, but you get your little. Oh, yeah, that's okay. You get your little patch like. Oh, cool. And that's, um. so yeah, you go through how to interact with the land and all its inhabitants in a safe, sustainable and respectful way and each each one of those three main points, you know, we go through right through the safety. That's why I didn't go right into the medicines I, I used before. Yep. Um, a whole heap of That's things. fair enough. You know, um, firstly, am I allowed to take it? Am I 100% certain of what it is? Could there be a poisonous lookalike? Could people have had allergic reactions to this plant? Could there be a related species that there's uh, you know, a poisonous uh, similar species from the same genus? Uh, has there been deaths due to this? Has there been, um, you know, has it got certain uh, chemical constituents in it that cannot interact well with medications? So there's a whole workshop on this safety sustainability. Uh, you know, if I'm taking some of the fruit from this plant, uh, am I limiting uh, native animals' uh, access to food? Am I? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, the way I'm pulling it out, am I doing it in a way like native spinach is a great example, the tetragonia tetragonoides. If you just pull the leaves off as people do, uh, you pull the roots mm. out and basically All right. yeah, you're just shitting on the land in the place where you're foraging it because you're causing its local extinction. And I've seen it time and time again. Uh, it's why I'm so passionate. If, if I'm not your cup of tea, you might not be my cup of tea either. You know, go, go, and, do, <laughs> go and do a course with someone that's had experience in foraging and knows what they're doing. And if, if they're not focused on teaching how to do it in a safe, sustainable and a respectful way, and the respectful way is to make sure that you're not limiting traditional custodians' access to their traditional medicines, traditional foods, uh, their ability to be able to forage those foods safely, sustainably and respectfully, and to pass on that knowledge to their children and grandchildren and their communities and the non-Indigenous community. Uh, that's always mm, very true. That's always the focus, mate. And, and that's why when I put something up on Insta or Facebook and people go, oh, can you tell us all about every fruit in that bowl? I say, well, well, no, and I'm not going to draw people into my courses. My courses are, are selling well. Oh, well, I am trying to draw people into my courses. but it, <laughs> They're not going to buy all your secrets just, just, just that easy. Yeah, yeah, not just that easy, mate. And, you know, it's about creating, mm, mm, creating mm. a mutually beneficial relationship with the land. You, you hear a lot about nature connection nowadays, and that's, you know, what can I get out of it? What can it give me? How can it heal me? How can it help me to survive? How can it fill my head with knowledge with our little talk about how we can actually give back to the land and, I try and draw a parallel between a, a relationship. You know, you and I get to know each other. We we meet each other online like a lot of people do nowadays. Get to know each other's name, where you're from, a little yeah. bit about your background, where you're from. You can draw a direct parallel to learning about plants and animals and the land. The first thing you learn is their name, their botanical or taxonomic name if you're talking about an animal, you know, their background, their family, where else are they found around the world and what do they do. And before you know it, you yeah. develop a real and tangible relationship with the land and all its inhabitants because you start to get in a closer actual relationship with them and to draw a parallel back to dealing with a human being and developing a relationship with them that's not a one-way stream if we were to become really good money absolutely is possible um uh, <laughs> after a while getting to know each other and spending some time together having a beer around the campfire and i learn about your family you learn about mine we learn about our our victories, our struggles, et cetera, et cetera. A year later, um, really good mates. A couple of years later, really close mates. We get to know each other on that deep level. If you were sick, 
I'd want to do my best to to help you out. I guess I'd go bush rather than go to the chemist to try and help you out. Um, if you're in danger, uh, at, at least at an inconvenience or even a danger to myself, a personal sacrifice, I'd do my best to do the right thing by you and be there for you if you're my mate. And and that's what I think a true nature connection is. If we can draw a parallel back to nature, um, how can we not only take from this? I mean, nature gives us everything, food, shelter, water, mm. medicine, mm. oxygen, the very air we breathe. But uh, how can yeah. we how can we give back? How can we create that mutually beneficial relationship? I'm very very just I'm just kind of overwhelmed to be honest. But we'll keep sorry we'll keep going. Um, like I'm, I'm a bit overwhelming. I can't help myself. I go from naught <laughs> off the chart. Oh no no that's okay. Yeah. It's all it, it, it's it's all it's all fantastic. I'm just um yeah just letting it sink in for a sec. <laughs> It was an interesting point you said before about if your mate, uh, you know, if your mate was in danger, you'd rather go uh, to the bush rather than the chemist. What do you reckon are some of the, besides maybe some big uh, side effects of you know a, a, having something a particular uh, amount of time? What do you reckon some of the big differences are, like the most big distinct differences are between uh, bush bush medicines and then medicine from the chemists that are approaching the same kind of target or they're, or they're trying to do the same thing? Well, I'm unusual in the, in the sense that. You know, I don't write off modern medicine. I think modern medicine, especially a modern surgery, is is absolutely phenomenal and 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 second to none. I mean, that's been developing over a couple of hundred years, and they can literally put people back together that have been hit by a train. <laughs> you know, it's um, mm. it's it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, but in saying that, you know, I give great respect to again everybody's ancestors are indigenous to this planet once upon a time, and. And our ancestors were, were pulling teeth, fishing, uh, fixing crushed bones and broken bones and amputating limbs. They would have had to have do, done all that or else we wouldn't have survived. So, uh, you know, enormous respect for that. Uh, but until only a couple of hundred years ago, uh, plant medicine, and it's still really important and still a big part of it, a lot of the modern drugs that we rely on today are developed originally from plant medicine. Uh, for example, you know, aspirin, a lot of the painkillers, uh, willow bark, uh, penicillin. I came from orange rust fungi. Uh, a lot of the different, oh, okay. yeah, a lot of modern pharmaceuticals as well come from Australian plants. There's been antibiotics found in jibung um, bark. There's been uh, steroids found in in solanum plants, which is uh, kangaroo apple, a variety of different other plants. These have all been exploited by the pharmaceutical companies, so I'm not giving anything new away that anybody else can exploit further. Uh, yeah. Okay. There's, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of incredible medicinal plants uh, that can be found, both native and introduced, uh, that have incredible not only healing potential, but that just just heal things. I mean, you've seen it um, on some of my posts. You know, I don't go into it too much what I've actually used, but yeah, from from spider bites to headaches to anti-carcinogenic plants to healing wounds. Like I don't even think you can see the scar on my. Is that the, even the right finger? I don't even think you can see the scar on my finger, but I, I pasted that together with some a type of uh, angophora sap, which is one of the gum tree species, and uh, that was lit. Yeah, right. I nearly cut the tip of my finger off. Wow, the scar's even gone. Is that the right finger? Yeah, it is. You can just. See. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say there's no there's no scar on it, so yeah, it looks like it's uh, healed up pretty nicely. Yeah, well, it was, far out. Use of a good old um, band aid uh, helped hold it together at first. I was just starting to shoot a tv show called going off grid for seven mate coming up in a few weeks and uh awesome i'll definitely check that out <laughs> i'll throw on an act and uh as you do 
at a target and I just swung the axe around and I and as I swung it around it popped into my head that that Mick the fellow that I was shooting the the film with uh, told me that it's so sharp that if you swing it it'll um it'll, it can cut grass and as it swung around I went to grab it and the axe just went right down near, nearly down to the bone and oh shit I just grabbed it and squeezed it together and and got a band-aid on it and gone, oh shit, I really don't want to have to leave the scrub. We're doing a five-day survival mission. And uh, I ended up using some Angophora costata sap and a couple of other secret, secret herbs and spices and sprinkled a bit of that on there. It's um, antiseptic, antifungal, antibacterial. It's local anesthetic, so it takes a bit of the pain away. It's uh, coagulant or hemostatic, so it draws it together, draws the tissue together. Uh, within a couple of days, it just looked like I'd received a bad scratch. Maybe four or five days earlier, there was um far out. The edges were joined. Uh, no red edges. No serum coming out of it. No pus. No no blood. Uh, it's uh, it's just incredible stuff. And I've got nearly endless stories, as I'm sure you can imagine, of how plant medicine has has healed me both internally and externally. I want to just dive into uh, some of the mentoring stuff you do just uh, quickly when you're. Not out in the bush, you're helping those in need along with raising funds and awareness for, for uh, you know, homelessness, mental health support, animal welfare groups and suicide prevention and a whole lot more. There's a bit um, to unpack there. So we'll kind of start with the homeless outreach centres. What? When did you begin working with these kind of charities and what led you into wanting to help others in need? Yeah, I guess I was, I was kind, kind of built that way. You know, I spent a fair bit of time hanging around the street in my teens, especially my late teens. And, uh, you know, while a lot of people might look down on people, well, if I had to label us as a lower socioeconomic demographic, there's also a lot of um, camaraderie and, and loyalty and, and good people digging deep for other people when they've been through struggle themselves. So uh, I guess it was born of a little bit of personal struggle myself. Um, and, yeah, again, it makes sense. It makes sense to me that adults in the community, if we sort of step back and look over our community and think, you know, one of the biggest issues in our community is that um, homelessness, is it youth suicide, is it um, uh, the ice epidemic, is it is a violent crime, unfortunately, which are which are issues all affecting our our local area, uh, and and what can we do to actively seek opportunities to positively impact that? I mean, if we're if we're being selfish. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Uh, and we've got kids growing up in the community, then ignoring those things uh, would be not a good idea. And if we're, we're trying to just look after ourselves and our family, that would be a great idea to actually get involved in that, which is, which is what I often say to people, you know, with this um, strong emphasis on self-care, especially with the you know, new age movement and, and um, you know, and personal growth and personal development, I often say that actively seeking opportunities to care for community and actively seeking opportunities to care for the place in which we live, of course, including our environment, uh, is the ultimate act of self-care because it's not just about you and looking after yourself, but it is about you and looking after yourself. It's about looking after your children and your mm. children's children. Yeah, very true. Well, I suppose... Because some of the people that you take out to the bush as well are people that uh, might fit that category, um, you know, troubled and homeless youths and disadvantaged teens and that sort of thing. How, what, what have you kind of seen? How has it been a bit of an aspiration to see them grow and develop, learning about the bush and the wild and getting them out of those kind of circumstances? Yeah, it's extremely empowering to feel that you've, you've built up skills enough to keep yourself in, in food, in water, in shelter how to navigate your way through the bush. There's a lot of uh, parallels you can draw and metaphors that you can use for being able to survive in the bush and not only survive but thrive, but also uh, be able to use, draw a parallel to surviving in the concrete jungle as well. And I think it resonates with a lot of young people, especially when they hear a bit of my story, you know, hanging on the streets as a young fella and, and, uh, yeah, fortunately, I'm not getting in so much trouble that, I'm really heading in the wrong direction. I was heading that way, but turned my life around. It was a bush that did it. And then uh, getting work as a security guard slash bouncer in pubs and clubs for a lot of years. So I've got some absolute cracker stories to engage the young <laughs> fellas and the young ladies like them as well. But yeah, when you're coming from a real place and you can, you know, you can relate to them and you really can relate to them. I know a lot of their parents from around the traps. Oh, okay. Uh, when you can, yeah. So often they say, you know, I can't believe Jake turned out all right. <laughs> and he's, he's doing youth and community work. So, um, yeah, I think if, you know, it really comes down to, and I might look and sound like a bogan and maybe I am a little bit, but I think inside I'm a, I'm a, I'm a peace-loving, harmony, you know, yearning for harmony within our community, tree-hugging hippie, because I just think it's, <laughs> it's all got to really come back down to love and connection to each other, and I think, yeah, especially Absolutely. If, if you're working with these young people, you know, if they can tell that you genuinely care about them and you genuinely want to see them go well in life, sometimes that's enough. You also play a bit of a lead role in educating and, I suppose, encapsulating uh, you know, each participant that goes with you in your experiences. When did you start doing a bit of work for uh, you know, environments and national parks and your passion for uh, wildlife on top of that kind of 
come into the whole thing? Or was it, I suppose, you kind of already answered it because it started from when you were quite a young fellow, I suppose. Yeah, well, there was a from land where I was running my youth programs. I was volunteering every Tuesday uh, for the local juvenile justice centre, Frank Baxter uh, Correctional. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that was in 2007. One of the young Aboriginal boys pointed out some tags on the trees and said, oh, what are the tags all about, Jake? And I said, oh, I don't know, mate. I'll find out and I'll let you know because we were going there every Tuesday. I was sharing knowledge about edible medicinal plants. I had some local elders coming and getting involved, obviously lots of Indigenous youth, but there was young fellas originally from you know, Africa and including the Sudan. There was young fellas from Italy, Greece. Originally, oh, right. their families were well, most of them were born in Australia, uh, China, um, yeah, Lebanon. So it was like a, we used to say we're like a multicultural day in, in one little group. And uh, my dad's from Egypt, but we're Maltese, Italian on that side, and mum's white Aussie. And, and um, so, yeah, I used to joke around about that a little bit. And, um, okay. But yeah, I, I remember we're out with a, with, a, with a group like that, lots of diversity and having a great day. And one of the young fellas saw the tags on the trees. And uh, and I went and spoke to council about it, and they said, yeah, there's going to be a development going through there, which was basically going to be the biggest development within any, any national park in the history of New South Wales, or modern New South Wales. And uh, and little did I know that would be, you know, basically the rest of my life. I mean, I'm still defending an area nearby that now, but I ended up running right next to that. I ended up running in four elections as an independent, uh, knowing I would. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Knowing I wouldn't get elected, but I could uh, eventually. It still creates some good at- attention, though. Yeah, I did more than that, and I won't say I, I, me, 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 because if it wasn't for the, I think I got six point five percent of the vote in the end, and had about thirty or forty people handing out my how to, how to vote cards. Um, that, that very nice. With um, I think forty eight protests we had over nearly a decade. Uh, we camped on the side of the road there for eighty nine days on Woi Woi Road. Uh, Wow. Half Indigenous, half non-Indigenous. We got an incredible amount of support, but I was really surprised to see in my hometown the level of um, of racism towards our Aboriginal friends. And, you know, we had rocks thrown at us, eggs thrown at us, bricks. Oh, that's such a shame. You know, people come calling us bludgers all the time. I was working like four jobs. I was going lifting furniture to um, you know, doing a bit of removalist work to try and keep the camp afloat and, and just, just, just live. I was still paying rent on a place up the road. Uh, but eventually, through all the trials and tribulations, and that's the very G-rated version, I ended up running in a, my second state election, so two federal, two state elections, and we're able to use uh, the 6.5% of the vote I was getting in a seat that was only divided by a few hundred votes. Uh, we're able to leverage wow. the government into buying all the land and making it national park. So after nearly a 10-year battle, uh, we ended up winning that, and it all got declared national park. and. I got my life back for a couple of months before the next environmental campaign came along. <laughs> Far out. That's fantastic. And it sounds like it's a, yeah, it would have been a hell of a fight, but um, yeah, the more, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward in the end of the day. So, geez, that's, that's quite an achievement. Well done. Yeah, it was an incredible team effort, mate. It was something that really brought the, the broader community together. We had people, again, from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life uh, coming together and getting involved. And, and that's happening again now. We're defending the land right next door from a development application. And it's, um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, right next door, unfortunately. So I'm not going to talk about the developer because that's been really contentious. And, you know, I don't wish them any bad. I just wish they'd anything better. Yeah, that's no, fair enough. I just wish they'd, um, they'd lay off this area because we know there's Aboriginal sites in there and my traditional custodian friends are, 
are very distressed about ah, right. there. And there's it's E2 land, so it's the highest. Uh, it's got the highest protection that any private land can have, and they're trying to change that at the moment so they can get the bulldozers through. And uh, yeah, that's been a full-time job um, right up until we started uh, filming today, recording today. And as soon as I get off the phone, I'll be chopping back into that. And jeez, um, oh, yeah. So it's a it's, it's an ongoing thing. I don't. There's no bloody balance or sustainability and activism until you know the the whatever you want to call it, the spiritual movement, the the people that are calling themselves conscious and all that until care actively seeking opportunities here i go again to um to care for community and care for the land until that's at the forefront of any kind of movement call it religion call it spirituality call it the culture um then there's going to be that's going to be the first step that's got to be mate because you know i just yeah i just saw like they reckon a million people in canberra and you've got these guys up talking about you know common law and how we're all part of the commonwealth and i've been listening to those guys bang on for years and years and they've got their points and that like i get it but you know mm-hmm. they're not talking about stopping the division or if they were i didn't catch it they didn't talk about looking after the bloody place in which we live and talk about yeah you know looking after our extremely struggling youth that are seeing all the older people in the community um you know fighting each other and all the division i, I feel like there's, there's not a real movement towards the core things that really matter and until they become the basis of our culture, if you want to make it broader, then you're going to have people, uh, yeah, a handful of people doing all the heavy lifting and running themselves ragged. You know, that's just the reality of it. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. They uh, have their priorities set a different way. And yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one. If we yeah, all kind of go back to the roots or some of my inquiries over the last couple of years, trying to find out why our food and water has been tampered with and that sort of thing. Those sort of issues, I believe, and a few other people, I'm getting a bit more of a uh, small group support around, uh, focusing on similar things. But, uh, yeah, some, from stuff I saw on the weekend, other things that have been uh, passed over the last, especially the last couple of years too, it seems like some people want to get some things fixed, but just in a separate order, I suppose. But, yeah, all the protests and that we can leave for, you know, another podcast because it's always going to be tracking a lot of attention. <laughs> I want to just dive into a bit of some of the tracking stuff you've done. Um, I'm sure a lot of people might have seen that you and your uh, team that have been uh, through some of your programs as well as some emergency services have been spending endless time looking for, uh, was it Logan LaRusso, the young missing man in the Central Coast? And the updates I saw from that and the endless efforts you put in to cover every track and make sure that he can eventually be found has just been very admirable to uh, keep updated with. And yeah, just what a... What are some of the highlights and some of the challenges, uh, I suppose, within that, with your tracking experiences is it, that you've encountered and what are kind of some of the things that uh, really make an impact with having that kind of task at hand? Yeah, I love tracking. <laughs> I remember my dad showed me some wallaby tracks on a beach when I was a young fellow and we followed them right through to the scrub and then I crawled through the scrub for hours. I was probably four or five years old. Uh, then he took me and showed me where a, fella, a local fellow had been releasing wild pigs and goats into a bigger a big mountain reserve in an area. It was a scam because the cops used to pay him to go and get him down with dogs because they knew he used dogs and not guns. So he'd, he'd relate. He, oh, okay. Like the government does from time to time, they kind of, you know, probably a controversial thing to say, but they, um, you know, they <laughs> release the disease and then get everyone to fork out for the remedy, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's not a parallel to the C word or, or anything like that. It was just just a metaphor, guys at home. <laughs> but, um, nah, that's all gravy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, 
Yeah, so, yeah, Dad showed me some wild pig tracks and the difference between a wild pig track, which is, you know, they've got the main hooves here and if they're treading in mud, you can see the dew claws coming off to the side and with goats and, and deer, for example, you don't usually see the dew claw coming off to the side and when a pig's... Ah, oh, okay, yeah, I follow you, yeah, yep. Yeah, the difference between a swamp wallaby track or wallaby by colour and an eastern grey kangaroo track, the wall, uh, wallaby by colour or swamp wallaby, most common wallaby around here has got three main sections to its foot and a really long outer toe and the dew claw is not really visible on the inside and an eastern grey kangaroo has got one large pad another section there and just a very small uh toe coming off to the side and occasionally the dew claw that they use for pulling ticks off and that is uh invisible on the inside of the track all right so uh i got into studying uh tracks from a really really young age and and following them around and again like i said with um making a little fire and cooking tucker as a as a toddler, nothing much has changed there. I'm still following tracks through the bush, uh, but I've been uh, fortunate enough to, um, you know, both done it on a, a voluntary basis and uh, also get a bit of work uh, paid as a tracker to uh, get involved in in both, um, you know, search and rescue type stuff and also looking for missing pets, which is one of my favourite. Okay. Uh, well, so I've I've been hired quite a little, quite a bit to go out at. Um, mainly northern Sydney. I don't travel too far for it because I've got pretty busy here on the coast. And, uh, yeah, some of the highlights have been, yeah, finding people and finding missing pets has been has been phenomenal. Yeah, wow. Yeah, okay. What kind of uh, pets have you found that you thought, I mean, been quite a challenge or things that you might not have expected? Oh, yeah. So um, there was one dog called Bella, and um, Bella had a bit of a disability. Uh, she'd just been in and out of the vet. She had a few issues. She was an old old Bitzer dog, a, a large black dog with lots of grey beautiful old dog and her owner actually had a bit of a disability as well and uh, the owner was the only one that um, the dog resonated with she was a rescue dog and she'd been with her for for quite a few years and uh, I've had really oh yeah had that dependency yeah I've had really skittish dogs before uh, that are just nearly impossible to catch even in a trap and no one can get near them except for the owner but in this case we had a, a major challenge in that the the owner was had a disability, couldn't really walk too well and things like that. And uh, the only way I've ever been able to get those kind of skittish dogs, I remember another time where there was a really skittish dog, beautiful um, Aussie, it was an Aussie Terrier or whatever, looked like one of those, those sheep, dog, sheep dogs, but oh, an yeah. Australian version. Anyway, no one could get near this thing for a couple of weeks. And I've, I've dropped on the ground and started moaning and groaning like a like a super passive, super submissive dog and showing my neck and showing my belly and the dog's kind of doing this and the crowd that I asked to stay back are doing this. Oh, Jake's finally lost it. <laughs> and, yeah, the dog got close enough to me to be able to, to grab it and, and reunite it with its owners. It was a rescue dog as well. Wow. So with yeah, okay. <laughs> back to the Bella story, uh, I said to the owner, I said, the only way you're getting your dog back is to play your voice over your loudspeaker in your car. Any squeeze toys she likes, any nicknames. That's good. a good idea. That's the only way you're going to draw her out of the bush. So it was about 30 square kilometres, 40 square kilometres of bushland that she was missing in. So myself and a couple of white patches, actually three white patches that have been through my level one bushcraft, went and uh, established where her tracks were. We used um, photos of her feet to establish what was most likely Bella's tracks. And the area that she'd been frequenting, uh, dogs or animals of habit, and where she'd yep. been testing water, etc. And uh, and I said to the owner, I said, I need you to, um, when you get a chance, do this, have the calls going from the car in this area here. Ideally, when the wind's blowing down off you and down towards her, 
I said, um, you know, uh, get, get her favourite food, um, put it up on the roof of the car so she can smell that and she might be drawn out by that. And what I need ah. you to do, when she pokes her head out of the bushes, I need you to drop to the ground and show her your neck and roll over and this and that and just have a lead ready to grab her around her neck, like a, a, a lead a collar to put around her neck, like a, a noose or whatever. And she said, oh, I can't do that because of you know my disability. It would be excruciating for me to do that. And I said, I'm... Um, I'm sorry, I don't know what you can do, but I, I, I can't think of anything else. I think the well, I said, is she likely to just run and jump in the car? She goes, not really. She gets me to help her into the car. And I, I really can't think of anything else to do. But uh, to cut a long story short, it worked. We poked a beautiful little head out of the bushes. And this courageous woman um, in excruciating pain made her way down to the ground, rolled onto her back, showed her neck, moaned and groaned. And she got a dog absolutely satisfying. And yeah, there's been a couple of people that we've, a uh, couple of people that we found as well, including young AJ Elphilek recently, the three year old boy was involved in the successful search of uh, for that young. Ah, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, congratulations on that. I can imagine it'd be, um, yeah, a very rewarding feeling when a missing person's uh, case is a success and is closed because they're found. So, yeah, it takes a lot of mental and physical strength to do that. So, yeah, I can't commend you further. It's, uh, yeah, just a, Massive role. So we're nearing near the end of the show. Uh, again, I can't thank you enough for um, squeezing in some time to have a chat to us. I've learned a lot. It's been great and I can't wait to yeah see how it turns out. Is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners on or some final words or maybe some advice for anyone looking to do a weekend away or the, from the big smoke and head into the bush or learn a bit more about outdoors and the nature? Yeah, if anyone wants to come and jump on any of my courses, uh, you know, it'd be great to see more people you know, reactivating our innate connection to the land. Uh, apart from you know, being a father of my beautiful eight-year-old daughter, Zania, and a community member here, pretty much you know, anyone that comes on my courses, they're directly funding our conservation work, our youth work. And oh, great. Yeah, it all, that's all I do. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I'm better than anyone, above anyone, anything like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply passionate about getting together with like-minded people. Um, and and just working together for the sake of our for the sake of our kids. It's um it's now or never. You know we need we need leaders, not followers. And as the old saying, leaders don't create followers; they create more leaders. And we've come to a time in history where our good people have got to bind together for the sake of our kids. And if I can even play a small role in that, then you know I'll be a very very satisfied man. Absolutely. For those who want to find out a bit more about what you do, where can people find your work? If you've got, uh, I think, a couple of Facebook groups and Instagram and some clips on YouTube, what can people kind of search for? Yeah, if you just chuck my name in um, in Google, you'll either get me or an underwear model, the bastard. So, um, <laughs> you know, the only six pack I've ever had is the kind you keep in the fridge or the esky. Uh, but, uh, so, you'll either get Jake Asar, the underwear model, or you'll get Jake Asar definitely not the underwear model uh and you'll get my website you can subscribe to my website or you can jump on uh, jake Asar bushcraft on facebook or instagram and uh, my phone number's at the top of the page if anyone's interested in any of my courses they can get along and have a chat but yeah i'll just reiterate my biggest passion is helping turn young lives around you know so if you've got a school especially behavioral schools uh you know if you've got access to um you know, to anyone along those lines, I've obviously got my working with children check, my criminal record check. I've got my insurance. You know, I've got a couple of programs going at the moment, but that's my main passion is turning young lives around. So if there's anyone out there that wants to work with me, I'm not big on having meetings. I prefer, I prefer to just talk and then 
do something, get something going straight away. I've had a shitload of experience doing that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, we just have a great time. At, 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 you know, we always connect and, and, um, and, and have, you know, incredible moments where the young people are feeling really empowered. And, and that's what it's all about to me. I'm, I'm a little bit desperate to, um, to get more programs going, not just my own, but as many programs as I can that turn young lives around because I think we're going to really need strong, resilient leaders uh, more than ever in the future. Mate, you're an absolute inspiration. I've um, yeah, been looking forward to this for a while. I've thoroughly enjoyed tonight's chat. Uh, thank you so much for squeezing in some time to chat to us on this show, a little bit dusty, and I'll let you get back to the many, many things you're doing. And uh, yeah, let's, thanks again. I've just I've had a blast having chatting to you. It's been unreal. Thanks again, Jay. No worries, mate. It's been great talking to you too. Hope to catch up in the flesh one day. Sounds good. I like that as well. All right. Catch up. Cheers. Yeah, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 